Welcome to Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. In this program, Marty discusses waterfowl and upland bird hunting, as well as the clay target shooting sports, with some of the top industry leaders and shooting pros from around the world. If you're just starting out or you've been hunting and shooting for years, we'll have wing and clay target news and information that you can use. Now, here is your host, Marty Fisher. And welcome, welcome, welcome to a nice and warm South Georgia where I am. Uh, you know, what, what's crazy, this um, <clears throat> this radio show is absolutely live <laughs> when we broadcast it. And, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Jason Beard on the show with the KT team. Uh, you know, that's the organization that... Uh, does the hunting trips for um, for folks that are very physically challenged? Uh, you know, Jason himself is is a paraplegic, and and uh, you know they've got a big fundraiser banquet tonight uh, down in Savannah, and and I had donated some items to them, and 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 as your day can sometimes go, I was late getting away from the house to take them down for the banquet. I'm actually when we finish the show, I'm going to the banquet, but. Um, uh, on the way back, the, the uh, afternoon travel was a little bit insane, which I'm sure for those of you who live close to cities of any size, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But hey, there's a, there's a lot going on, and I want to let everybody know. First portion of our show is always brought to you by my good friends at the Crushable Vault, and I, and I want to talk about these guys for just a second before we get into the teeth of the show, but if, if you travel in to hunt and shoot like I do, and you're always worried about securing your fine guns while you're on the road, well, I'm one of those. A great case from the crushable vault will put your mind at ease. You know, it looks like a piece of luggage, but inside there's an interlinking cable system that secures your case or cases from being opened, and then it ties them to the bed of your truck, your SUV, or the trunk of your car, that way, you and only you have access to your firearm. So if you stop at a gas station and or go to a restaurant or something like that and you're worried about your guns being taken, not going to happen with the crushable vault. Give these guys a look. It's a great product, great-looking product, totally made in America, and you'll get that peace of mind that when you arrive at your destination, your guns will arrive too. Check them out, crushablevault.com. You see something you like in there? little promo box at, uh, at checkout, type my name in there, put Marty in the box, and you'll get an instant 10% off uh, when you uh, when you completely check out. CrushableVault.com. All right, <clears throat> what's going on in the world? Well, uh, I've got a great guest today. Um, as many of you know who have been listening to the show, uh, Dogtra, the uh, dog training products that are just absolutely spectacular uh, is one of my great sponsor partners here on the show well i am blessed today i've got pete fisher now pete even spells fisher the way i do so uh, somewhere down the road we may be long lost ken i don't know but um, uh, this guy knows his business so if you've got a gun dog or a hunting dog uh, and this is really especially retrieving dogs that we're going to talk about you are going to love this show and we'll get to Pete here in just a few minutes, but let's, real quick, what's going on in the in the wing and clay industry around the world? Well, with the coronavirus situation, and folks, this is, uh, this is pretty real. So let's, um, let's be smart, uh, listen to, uh, 
to what the experts are telling you. I know I'm washing my hands more than I've ever washed them in my entire life. And, um, and I'm paying attention. That I can assure you, I am paying attention. So uh, that being said, uh, do what these folks tell you and, um, uh, you know, we'll be fine. You know, we'll, we'll get through this. We, we always have gotten through it. And, um, uh, you know, this thing just popped up a month and a half ago. So, you know, some of the expectations that I hear from on the, some of the political sides are a little bit unrealistic, thinking that we would have all these millions of, of test kits for something that didn't even exist, uh, you know, is a little bit crazy. But, you know, it'll all get itself worked out, and, um, and uh, we're, we're going to be fine. But within the wing and clay world, um, a couple of new guns that uh, that I'm really excited about, uh, uh, one by Fabarm, one by uh, Siren. Uh, they are both very adjustable shotguns. Now, what I mean by very adjustable is that they actually come with two ribs, uh, a, a flatter rib that shoots a 50-50 pattern, and a high rib that shoots a 65-35 pattern. So it's great. The low rib is great for skeet, for sporting clays, for bird shooting, whatever. The higher rib is perfect for trap. Now, the, uh, uh, the, the stock, you know, the cone on the stock is also adjustable. Uh, Fab Arms model is called the Elos Into All Sport XL. Now, that's a mouthful, but what a, uh, what a great-looking gun. Uh, comes with a 30-inch barrel, uh, you know, really, really, you know, just good-looking 14 three-quarter-inch length to pull. Uh, something really, really cool. Uh, and Siren, you know, has done pretty much the same thing. They've got a very similar gun. The only difference is the Siren, S-Y-R-E-N, it's called the Siren Elevate, is actually made for lady shooters. So uh, these two companies have got the men and the women covered, and I, uh, I encourage you to uh, to go check them out on their websites, uh, Fab Arms. I think it's fabarms.com, you know, uh, Siren, you know, it would be siren.com. And uh, and take a look at those products. I think you'll like what you see. Um, <clears throat> now, what's going on? Well, the coronavirus is really throwing a wrench into a lot of events. I heard today that the European FITAS Championship, which is being held in Italy, um, and the world there is in that, at that ground in a couple of years, but uh, that has now been canceled. Uh, just got word, uh, you know, I, I've been talking over the last few weeks about uh, about the collegiate shooting and the uh, upcoming national collegiate championship. Well, that has been postponed uh, in San Antonio. They post it was supposed to be the last week end of this month, and it is now postponed hopefully until sometime in May or June and uh, of course we'll let everybody know about that um, <clears throat> the Olympics are coming up well we don't know what's going on with the Olympics in Tokyo Japan right now uh, I think they're still on and we just had our Olympic qualifying uh, it's just finished up in the, in the last week or so and uh, so our Olympic shooters have now been named uh, I, I can't do a show on on wing and clay shooting without uh, without talking uh, just for a moment about these folks. Uh, in women's trap, 
uh, the trap shooting. Uh, our representatives are Kaylee Browning from Worcester, Arkansas. She's actually a good friend of mine's daughter, Tommy Browning. And Tommy Browning is, uh, has been a sporting class guy forever. And, uh, you know, I've been duck hunting with Tommy out in Arkansas and shot some clays with him. But, uh, but Kaylee's just a great, great little shot. And, and, uh, she led the pack and, uh, is our, is, <clears throat> is one of two representatives in the women's trap. The other one is Madeline Bernal from Waterford, Wisconsin. Uh, congratulations to both of those ladies. They will represent us well. In women's skeet, and there's a real surprise here, Amber English from Colorado Springs and Austin Smith from Keller, Texas are the two representatives for the United States in the Olympics in women's skeet. Noticeably absent, my buddy Kim Rohde. Uh, Kim finished fourth in this event. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many gold medals you've got. I mean, this lady you know, has, has Olympic medals in five straight Olympics. No, nobody else has done that. Um, and she's won two gold medals. And um, it, it just didn't happen for her, you know, on that particular time. And, you know, that's, you know you're talking about a, uh, a session one qualifier where they shoot 250 targets, then they've got to come back and do it again over a four-day stretch of time. And uh, and the total score out of those five, what I think it's probably five fifty, or uh, you know the, the, who wins. And uh, you know Kim Kim was a little a little bit off her game, and um, and as a result, uh, she is the number two alternate. You know, in case you know some of these other folks can't make it, she would make it. But other than that, she's going to be practicing for the. 2024 Olympics, and um, and she understands it, and uh, has no excuses. Said, you know, got beat. Uh, men's trap, and uh, I mentioned this guy to you here not too long ago, Derek Mine. You know, and Derek Mine is a is a is a guy that shoots everything. I mean, this guy shoots sporting clays. He shoots pigeons. He actually won probably the biggest purse sporting clays event in history over in Dubai a few years ago. I think he, you know, I'm, I don't think there's any secret. I think he put $140,000 in his pocket for winning that event. Uh, but Derek, uh, you know, back in uh, uh, 2016, uh, tried for the Olympics and came up one target short. Well, he's the leading guy now. He actually won the uh, won the qualifier, and he and Brian Burroughs, um, from California are the two representatives for men's trap. Now, this is important because we haven't had a men's trap representative in the Olympics in quite some time. Uh, we, you have to win these World Cup events, and, and we got, got fortunate, and Brian and um, uh, Derek Haldeman uh, got first and second in the Pan American Games here last year, and that gave us two quota spots for men's trap in the Olympics for the first time in quite a while. And we're taking advantage of it, and these two guys are really, really good shots, and uh, we wish them well. And men's skeet, hey, Vince Hancock, what can you say? Vince Hancock has uh, uh, won two Olympic gold medals. He's been a four-time world champion. Uh, young man from Eatonton, Georgia. I mean, Vince is just on top of the world. He's probably the number one rated international skeet shooter in the in the world, and uh, and I fully expect that uh, he will be very representative at those games. Philip Jungman from Caldwell, Texas, is the um, second member of that team, and uh, hey, our all our thoughts and. And prayers and hopes go out to all of these Olympians. They work really hard to get there. And, you know, one thing about Olympic shooting, it's a little bit different. They shoot a 24-gram load. That's seven-eighths of an ounce. That's like a 20-gauge load. 
And, you know, it's the three and a quarter gram shell, so it's smoking out there pretty good, about 13, 13, 25 feet per second. The targets are a lot faster in skeet and trap. They have a three second, up to three second delay on when the target's released. And skeet's got doubles. You know, they've got uh, the regular round of international skeet. You're shooting doubles at three, four, and five, and you can't put the gun up under, up on your shoulder. It's, it's down on your hip. So uh, this is a much more difficult game. And, um, you know, those really high scores are very, very difficult to come by. All right. That is what's going on. And um, I want to... Uh, I want to take this opportunity to um, to bring Pete Fisher on the show. But before I do that, I want to I want to let you know that Pete's first segment is going to be brought to you by our great friends at Dogtra. Now, if you're an upland bird hunter or a waterfowler, there's a good chance that you've got a hunting dog. You know, there's nothing more pleasurable than watching a well-trained companion do his thing in the field. For more than 30 years, Dogtra has been building the best e-collars for remote training, GPS tracking. That'll You can track up to 21 dogs with one of these models simultaneously. Beeper collars that help you locate a pointing dog in high cover. No bark collars when you want peace and quiet. They've got launchers for uh, birds and training dummies and an e-fence product uh, to keep your dog on your property at all times. Hey, Dogtra has got it going on, and it's a brand that's been trusted by pro trainers around the world for a long, long time. Uh, You can bet Dogtra's got the right training tool for you and your hunting companion that will help make him or her the very best that either of those genders can be, whether they're at your feet are on the hunt. So check them out at dogtra.com. And with that introduction to Dogtra, I would like to welcome Pete Fisher from the great state of Minnesota to Wing and Clay Nation. Pete, welcome, my friend. Glad to have you. Well, thank you for having me, Marty. I appreciate it. Well, listen, I uh, uh, yeah, I don't know that you heard all of my <laughs> all of my previous stuff. I I, I had a uh, I had an interesting day. I was I was running around like a uh, <clears throat> like a dog, you know, chasing his tail, and uh, you know how that is. They almost get there and they get away from you again. But um, yeah, uh, what what a pleasure to, to to have Pete Fisher. And Pete, I I did not give you uh, a, a a biographical uh, introduction. So if you would tell everybody a little bit about Pete and your background, and then we'll then we're going to talk some some uh, some dog training and some e collars and and stuff like that. Sure, sure. I'd be more than happy that way. People get a little bit of an idea. Sure, who it is that's uh, that's out there uh, telling them the stories and giving them information. And, and my background, Marty, is is I was in the retriever training business for thirty years and uh, had my own business. And started out like a lot of uh, dog trainers do. I work for somebody else. Really not many places you can go to school to become a dog trainer, at least not the type of dog training that, that I did and a lot of the field guys do. Typically, mm-hmm. most people work for another individual, and then they strike out on their own. So that's what I did. I worked for two different retriever training kennels. One one individual, Lawrence Martins, is in the uh, uh, Retriever Trainers Hall of Fame. And both mm-hmm. these uh, places, Deltone Kennels and Lorney, were up here in Minnesota, and I struck out on my own in about 19, oh gosh, 79. I'm, I'm older than I probably sound. How's that? And uh, You do, so you do and, sound young and vivacious. I want you to know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I started the Kennel Marty in, um, back in, uh, let's say, around uh, 1980 and, and uh, started out trained a couple dogs the first year I was there. And lo and behold, when I sold the business here 10 years ago to one of my assistants, uh, and the name of the business is called Fisher's Kennels and Hunt Club up here in 
central Minnesota, and I sold it 10 years ago, Marty, and, and now when the place is full, uh, you can handle, it'll handle 40 to 50 dogs. So it was no longer just me training the dogs. I had uh, individuals working for me uh, besides myself. So, um, but I had a connection with, uh, with the dog truck company. I was using their product. And I, and I had a plan. I just didn't want, wake up one day and say, geez, I'm going to sell the business and do something else. I had a plan, got to know the owners of the company, and uh, I actually work as a private contractor for them now. Uh, I'm not an actual employee. So I've done that for 10 years now, Marty. So uh-huh. that gives uh-huh. people a little bit of my background. Sure. Well, and 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 and, and the, the part that you that you left out, and this is this this would be um, this would be up on the bragging board if it was me. I, you know, I think you've developed about fifty master hunting retriever champions, and you know that, that's not the easiest thing in the world to do, Pete. So uh, uh, there's got to be some backbone there somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the the dogs that uh, you know have notoriety. The dogs that. Uh, garnered a lot of ribbons, so to speak, but but really, Marty, my my uh, uh, bread and butter was was training uh, uh, dogs that wanted to retrieve a duck or a pheasant, and not a ribbon. So, sure. uh, you know, as you as you uh, as as hunt tests and field trials have evolved, uh, you, a lot of us had to decide what we were going to train: either chase ribbons or or train dogs that were going to be gun dogs, and, uh, and and so that was what I primarily focused on. Most of the dogs that I trained were. Uh, were dogs that were used in the field. Not saying they weren't running in some hunt tests, but primarily they were they're being trained as gun dogs and companion dogs. Well, and the, and the fact of the matter is, and let's face it, I mean, most people, most guys that are duck hunters or pheasant hunters or, you know, dove hunters or whatever, they're not trialing their dogs. I mean, they, they want a solid hunting companion yep. that they're not chasing out across the field calling every name in the book because it's not doing what they want him to do. You know, I mean, that's, that's exactly. the thing. Yeah. And, and so yep. we're, we're going to talk about that here a little bit. Pete, I'm up on, I'm up on a, a, a network break. I want to take it real quick. And when we come back, we're going to get into some nuts and bolts of, of this stuff and the ecology, e, e-collar technologies that exist now that are so much better than what they were. And folks, stay tuned. Pete Fisher and I will be right back with a lot of great gun dog information on Wing and Clay Nation. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, 
philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. If you have a question or comment about the show, we're here via email, wingandclayradio at gmail.com. That's wingandclayradio at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to this week's show. And back we are, and hey, I always do this when I come out of my first commercial break. You know, if you're a social media guy, we've got some great sites I want you to go to. Uh, the website for the show, wingandclayradio.com. Uh, by all means, come be a part of our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash wingandclayradio. And, uh, you know, we've got some great stuff there, some great conversations, some great pictures, and you can come be a part of that on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash wingclaynation. And on Instagram, where we can post photos, Instagram.com slash wingandclayradio. Now, I want to get back to Pete here real quick, but I want to let you know Pete's next segment is brought to you by my good friends at Negrini Cases. You know, recreational season is all on top of us, and that means we're going to be traveling around to shoot a lot of clay targets. You know, most of us use the gun case that our gun came in, but it's really not a travel case. You know, you it's you, you, want, you don't want to throw those things on and off of airplanes and bounce them in and out of the beds of trucks and stuff like that. And that's where Negrini cases really shine. You know, for more than 35 years, they've been building the very, very, very lightest and strongest TSA and international airline approved gun cases on the market. They look great. They feature a super strong double wall protection, and they are really lightweight to boot. I absolutely love my custom cases from Negrini. So check them out, negrinicases.com. If you find something you like, spend 200 bucks. When you get to check out that little box up there in, in the uh, on the checkout page, type my name, put Marty in there, and they'll send you a waterproof shot shell case that will hold 100 Shells, and they'll pay for the shipping to send that to you as well. So check them out, negrinicases.com. All right, that said, I am back to Pete Fisher. Now, Pete, you know, we we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, a little bit about your background and how you got going into all of this stuff. But, you know, I am I was one of those guys that, that a lot like my listening audience, okay? I mean, I got my first retrieving dog, and I was like, okay, now what? Because, you know, I didn't know whether I wanted to try to train it or whether I wanted to have a trainer train it or a combination of both. And I certainly didn't know anything about doing it. Now, you know, my the first thing I did, somebody said, well, you know, there, there are two books out there. James James Lamb Free has one and Richard Walters has another one. So Marty went off and bought those two. But that didn't, you know, 
those were kind of some guidelines there, but uh, one of them said start a dog at 12 months old. The other one said start a a dog at seven weeks old. So that was pretty confusing. So, you know, when I finally talked to some guys and talked to some pro trainers and they said, hey, Marty, what do you want? I said, I want as good a hunting dog as I can get. And they said, well, you need to do it. In today's world, it's e-collar technology. Now, that was that was in back in the 70s, and I can tell you that the technology has really, really changed. But, you know, when they, when they said that, Pete, you know, right off, I said, well, if I do that electronic collar, you know, that, that kind of would scare me. I mean, does that, that's not going to burn my dog, is it? Well, you know, one of the things I tell people that are looking at training a dog with a remote training collar or an e-collar, uh, we don't call them shock collars anymore, obviously, but we're going to uh-huh. use a remote training collar on a dog. Uh, we still got to use lay the foundation down. We still got obedience train that dog. And one of the things that that people really don't understand about the training collar is that you know there's a knob up on the top of it, Marty, that you can dial the intensity level up and down. That's been uh-huh. a great advancement in the remote training collars. Uh-huh. One of the misconceptions is that a dog can actually get burnt. In, in other words, from the electrical charge in a, in a can't. And I'll tell you why. These units work on what's called static electricity. So it's not like walking out. That's like walking across a, a dry rug and going grounding yourself on a, on a doorknob. That's static uh-huh. electricity. Right. It is uh-huh. not the equivalent of taking a fork and sticking your wall outlet. That's going to do damage to your tissue. might stop your heart. Two right. totally different things. But one of the things that can happen, and, and this is one of the misconceptions why people think that it can burn a dog, is you leave something hanging around a dog's neck long enough with enough pressure, and that dog will develop a couple sores underneath it and they will look like a burn but they're actually Uh what we call a pressure necrosis sore marty and that's where the pressure from those contact points collapse the the blood vessels in the dog's tissue and Uh when that happens the the tissue starve for blood and then you get an ulcer and then you get a secondary infection you take the training collar off the dog you take them to a veterinarian they say oh my the unit burnt my dog believe me this these operate the same way as a muscle stimulator that you would experience, Marty, if you went to a chiropractor or a physical therapy. So they are a powerful tool, but rest assured, uh, these units cannot burn a dog. Well, the, the one thing that I see, and I've and I really tried to pay attention to this stuff, the one thing that I see a lot is that um, I think I've got a jet plane going over my head here. That's all outside. That's, that's crazy. Um, it's almost like a slap on the wrist, to be honest with you. You know, if people, you think about that. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's a tap on the wrist, and sometimes, if you need to, it's a pretty hard slap. Uh, depends on, depending on, uh, you know, the point that you're trying to get across. So, you know, I mean, you, you can, if you don't make an analogy, you know, if you're, if you're teaching your kid and you, and you tell the kid, well, don't put your hand on that hot stove and, and, and you know, and, and, and then they do something wrong, and you reach up there and you whack them on the hand, and you say, "I, I thought I told you not to do that." Well, it's it's very similar, and 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 the beauty of the e-collar technology is the dogs. The first thing they have to do is understand why they're being corrected, and I, I, I want you to address that if you would, Pete, because you know so many people that get a collar. You know, they turn it up wide open and push the button, and the dog has no idea what just happened. He just knows he didn't like it. So there's got to be a preparation. There's got to be a preparation uh, point there somewhere. There is, yes, and and there is, Marty. And and here's what I, I wish I had a nickel for every time I said this: the remote training collars used to reinforce commands the dog already knows. Okay, 
So that mm-hmm. foundation that we want to teach that dog is the obedience. Come to me, go stationary, go away from me. Then we use a remote training collar on a lower to medium level, and we reinforce that. It's negative reinforcement. We reinforce those commands. We want to have that in the business. We call that e-collar conditioned. So we want that dog conditioned so that it understands how to get out of that uncomfortable feeling by complying with a command that we're, that the trainer's giving. Uh, so we, when we take the dog out in the field and we just don't start pushing buttons, and let's look at it this way, Marty, as a form of avoidance training. So uh, we got an unruly dog, no training whatsoever. You take him out in the field. He gets on his first birds, and if he's got any amount of drive, Marty, he's going to take off and bust birds and chase after him, okay? Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is that unless you, you're a lot faster than I am or you're going to run him with a long rope on, which doesn't work, you don't have any way of controlling that dog out at a distance. Consequently, an individual gets frustrated, sees this dog busting all the birds and says, hell, this isn't what I got a dog for. So he marches right on down to the, to the store or online or Amazon, and he buys himself a remote training collar. He slaps it on his dog, and the next uh, weekend he goes out and he says, hey, listen, now I'm going to level the playing field. I got this power in my hand. The dog's never experienced a remote training collar before in his life, Marty. And mm-hmm. the guy goes out there, or gal, and starts pushing the buttons when the dog's out of control. The dog doesn't know what that sensation is. He doesn't know whether to come to the owner, to run away from him, or, or dig a hole and, 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 and bury himself. But what can happen is, is the dog will bolt under the pressure of the training collar, and then the individual stands there and says, see, I told you this training collar, but these were no good. He didn't do the foundation training. He didn't e-collar the condition of the dog so the dog knew how to get out of the uncomfortable feeling. So there's a lot of things that got to be done before you slap one of these units on the dog and take them out in the field. No doubt right. about well, that. Well, and, you know, I've always been under the impression, and I've had, you know, numerous pro trainers tell me this and I th- and I think I you know kind of knew it anyway but you know this is a a, a very simple uh, rule of thumb here if 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 you can't control the dog at your feet you can't control the dog 25 yards away from you and further okay so oh, gosh, the, yes. the, yep. the training part of this thing starts with that obedience program to where you know, and then you introduce, as I understand, you introduce the e-collar technology along the way so that the dog understands the correction. And, you know, sometimes they need a little heavier connect, uh, correction than than they might otherwise. So, uh, you know, if you would, I mean, address that a little bit, you know, the, the very rudimentary parts of it. I mean, just, just as a pro trainer, take, put your pro trainer hat back on. And, and let's talk a little bit about, you know, getting the obedience down, Pat, and, and when do you introduce the e-collar to the dog? Well, again, that, that's that's where we start with all of them, Marty. That, that's, the obedience training is, is uh, I always tell people this, it's like going out and building a house. If you don't have a good foundation to start with, the house is probably going to tip over, okay? So the obedience training is what we start with, and we start them on a, on a leash and a, or a rope, whatever you want to call it. Some people call it a choke chain. Uh, pinch collar, but we don't use it for choking the dog. That's I tell people when I do a dog demonstration nowadays, uh, and I was just up to the local high school and, and did some work about a week ago on, in a forensics, forensics class, and I was showing them the basics of obedience training and how a dog scents and how we cast them. And I told them that with this dog, with the, with the leash and the, and the choke chain and the pinch collar on, that's like a steering wheel, Marty. I got it slipped over the dog's head. That's how I guide my dog, and I show him what I want when he's young. Mm-hmm put him into that sit position. I use a lot of reward training. You know, 
we talk about the training collar, and that's a, a form of reinforcing and negative reinforcing. But you know what we want to want the dog. We want to build that bond, and so the positive reinforcement is another really important part of it. But really, that obedience training is where we start all of them, Marty. Well, I don't care if it's a dog that's going to be um, somebody's pet, a gun dog, or a ribbon runner. We start them all the same way with that foundation training of obedience before we ever put an electric training collar on them, Marty. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and <clears throat> and and so much of, of of what your background is and mine, you know, for that matter, I, I've always had retrieving dogs. You know, you know. Uh, uh, all labs on my end, uh, but you know there's some there's some other great breeds out there that are retrievers as well. But uh, you oh, know, and, and, and I was I'm a I'm a duck guy, you know, and so mm-hmm. you know when I, I you know you put a you see that collar and you look at it, and I know Dogtra has a, I think it's a 1900 S uh, waterfowl model, you know, but I you know I don't know that it has to be a waterfowl model, but uh, uh, you know you can use it in, you can use it in water, can't you? I mean that's not a problem. Oh, yes. Yeah, pretty much every training collar that's on the market today, the, the receiver, that's the piece that goes on the dog, is waterproof. And, and actually, Marty, on, on most of our units nowadays, even the handheld transmitter is waterproof. So, uh, yeah, these things are out in, in the swamp and getting – it's really amazing uh, how durable this product is. When you see the kind of abuse they take out in, in a marsh or out in a field or, you know, the, the units like the GPS units uh, – Nobody, no dog gives a training collar more abuse than, than a coon hound or, or any of the hounds. I mean, these things mm-hmm. get drugged through the muck and the weeds and the brush. So you want to make sure you got a good tra- good training collar. I mean, uh, and there's a number of good manufacturers out there. Obviously, I recommend Doctor, but uh, that that's who uh, that's who sends me a check each month. So there are a lot of good products on the market right now. There's also some on the market that if you start shopping Amazon, you're going to find some $50 training collars. I'd avoid those like the plague. That's the stuff that's being knocked off and imported from uh, another country, and, and it's not worth a darn, Marty. So you want to stick with a brand name. Uh, but Doctor makes, uh, we make so many different models nowadays. I mean, if we don't have a training collar to suit your needs, I'd, I'd be damn surprised. Well, yeah, and you know, and and you know, I, I go to the go to the dogtra.com website and start looking around and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you you scratch your head a little bit, but 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 you know, they've got yeah. some really good explanations there as to you know to what each one of these things do. And I know we're talking retrievers, but you know, for the upland guy, I mean, you you know, you've got a you know a one dog system or a two dog system, and you know, in the beeper collars, you know, I I, I do a lot of, of upland hunting, uh, you know, in addition to the waterfowl that I do, and and it is really so nice, especially when you're in in heavier cover. To, to have those beepers where you can actually locate the dog. I mean, that that oh. really means a lot because you you got to get there. I mean, you you know, that dog, Marty, that they, they'll stay on point, but you want to get there before the flush. Yeah, that, that beeper unit's worth its weight in gold. I mean, I I don't care if you got a pointing dog or any kind of the flushing breeds. Up here on my, on my uh, property that I own out in central Minnesota, it's all in native prairie grass. So that's big blue stem and switch grass, and that stuff mm-hmm. is grown. Marty, you send any one of the dogs off, they get 10 steps from you, you can't see them anymore. No, they disappear. And so you've got to have a beeper unit to identify where this dog's at. I mean, I do have one pointer, and I've got a couple Labradors, but that beeper unit is valuable to keep track of that dog. I know if he's hot on a bird and pushing gun range and I can't get up there, then I'm going to call him off. If I've got a pointer and he's dead set locked on a bird somewhere, he could be 50, 60, 70 yards off in one direction. I could be going the other direction. I just tap that beeper a couple times, and I know I've gone the wrong direction, and I can 
uh, follow that beeper and find out where the dog's at. That beeper unit, uh, it's one of our most popular units, but I'd tell this, I just worked a big outdoor show called Pheasant Fest in uh, Minneapolis here and, and um, talked to a lot of people, and I told them, hey, until you've hunted, upland hunted, and used a beeper unit, like our T&B dual unit that we call it for Dogtra, you're, mm-hmm. you're missing the boat. Uh, you'll never hunt in uplands again. And uh, if once you've used one, you, you'll never be out there without one. Well, I've, I've, like I say, I've done a bunch of it, and, and you know, you don't always find utopia. You get in, in that blue stem and switchgrass and and corn that hasn't been harvested, and it's up over your head. And I mean, you oh, yeah. <laughs> there are all sorts of reasons, you know, to 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 need that type of uh, that type of a product. Hey, we've got a couple minutes before a break, so I did want to ask you, did want to ask you this question. You know, the one thing that that a lot of folks may not realize is, you know, these these e collars today have got a huge range. I mean, these things will work, they'll work three quarters of a mile away. But, you know, most of the time you don't really need that. But why do, why do they do that? Why do they give them such long range? Well, and that's a great question because uh, most of the, the training collars you see out there, Marty, are going to be one mile or three quarter mile or half mile. Pretty much everything we make that's intended for uh, field use is going to be a half mile up to a mile or a mile and a half even. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's what I tell people. You know, hills, trees, buildings, things of that nature are all going to influence the signal on a remote training collar. And it's an FM signal, just so you know. So we do exaggerate the range on those, exaggerate them in that we push them out further because we're going to run into these obstacles that are going to decrease the range when we're out there. Now, maybe if we're out in the middle of the desert somewhere, Marty, and we're just as flat as a pancake, we might get that, that optimal range. There's nothing nothing in our line of sight, so to speak. Um, but that's the reason why you're going to find most of these training callers have a more range than what you might think you need because it, it's basically line of sight, so to speak. So the hills and trees mm-hmm. and cars and, and buildings can influence how far that range goes. So well, somebody that's out there looking for an e-caller, uh, don't, I don't recommend anything. Uh, Half-mile range to me is the standard. Anything in that... 100 yards, 200, 300 yards, you might be out in the field somewhere and, and you may not have good range if you go with a lesser uh, range unit for what well, there, and then you, we're talking about here. And then, and then you've got nothing. So, hey, we're, we're up on that break, folks. I want to let you know uh, this, this last little bit was brought to you by my great friends at ESP. Now, I've been around a lot of shooting in my lifetime, millions of gunshots, and I've got to have my ears protection. I use electronic shooters protection. It's a digital custom made for my ears, and they'll make them custom for your ears as well. Everything over 90 decibels gets muted down. You can turn the sound up. You can turn the sound down so that you can hear you can hear things that you never thought you would hear, and uh, you know, that's actually pretty special. So give my friends at ESP a look, ESP America. Dot com And look at that stealth model. That's the one that Marty uses and have been using for almost two decades. It's a great, great, great product. That's ESPAmerica.com. Hey, folks, we're going to take a quick network break. And when we come back, Pete and I are going to continue to talk about Dogtra and some great tips on dog training. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america the internet's number one talk station number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into marty fisher's wing and clay nation if you have a question or comment about the show we're here via email wing and clay radio at gmail.com that's wing and clay radio at gmail.com now let's get back to this week's show and welcome back and i am having a great great conversation with pete fisher from dog trial you know one of my great sponsor partners here on wing and clay nation and hey by the way if you're a podcast listener, I know you can't listen to all of these shows live. I understand that. But we actually air live also on iTunes. So if you're, you know, in the car or something like that and you want to hear the show live, iTunes will have it. But um, uh, we syndicate to podcast also. iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, their podcast site. So there are lots of ways to listen. And... Uh, uh, yeah, I encourage you to do so. We've got some great shows, and I've had some great guests. Um, and, hey, before I get back to Pete, you know, if you're an upland bird hunter and we've been talking about this stuff, the chances are you're always looking for a great place to go hunt. Well, if you live in the southeast or if you're traveling to the southeast down towards Atlanta somewhere, uh, do yourself a favor. Get in touch with my friends at Etowah Valley Game Preserve. They're in Dawsonville, Georgia. That's about an hour north of Atlanta. It's in the Beautiful, beautiful foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. You know, they've got a great feathers and clay package where you can shoot 50 sporting clays in the morning. You have lunch with your guide, and then you can head out to the field. You can shoot pheasants. You can shoot chuckers. You can shoot quail. Yeah, You know, just a lot of different things to do. And here's the best thing, and this is this really fits what we're talking about here with Dogtra. You know, get yourself the right Dogtra collar and understand how to use it, and you can take your own dog and hunt with him at Etowah Valley Game Preserve. You know, every place won't let you do that. So um, give my guys a, a, a shout. Check them out. 
etowahvalleygamepreserve.com. I assure you, you will absolutely have a great, great, great time. All right, let me get back to Pete here, our last segment of the show. And Pete, you know, we've covered a lot of ground, my friend. You know, we talked talk to you know a little bit about introducing the dog to the e-collar and things like that well i've 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 been in in scenarios with uh you know with with my dogs and you know every now and then you know i i want to make a correction and you know i I push my little button there and the dog doesn't respond or sometimes if he if, if he's you know does make eye contact with you he's you know he doesn't let you know that he's that he's being corrected. So, you know, let's talk about why, why does it not seem to bug him sometimes? Well, you know, and again, that's a great question, uh, Marty. And a lot of times I feel that type of question in my work for the dog truck company, because uh, individuals will call in and they'll say, well, you know, my unit isn't working. And the first question I'll ask them is, well, tell me why you think it isn't working. And I'll say, did you put it on your hand or wrist and turn it up to level 20, 30 or 40? And so you could feel the sensation. Or you're just basing that on the fact that you didn't see a reaction from your dog. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and most of the time, most of the time, uh, the unit's working. It's just they don't know what to look for in the reaction from the dog. And that's from most of the time you, we get this from a novice trainer, from somebody that's just starting out. And, you know, we don't have to, when we push a button on a remote training collar, I don't have to see that dog yelping and screaming all over. The fact is, I don't want to see the dog vocalize. I just need to see a reaction. I see it, need to see an acknowledgement. Ears twitching, eyes blinking, head turning, neck, neck muscles tensing up. And I know the dog can feel it, and I know that it's registering with the dog, the reinforcement of the command. So when I run into that, that situation, most of the time I have the people tested on their, on their hand. And then the other thing is, is you got to touch both contacts. You can't just grab one of them. I mean, it's so many times when I'm fielding questions like this and say, yeah, I've got it in my hand, and, and there's nothing or nothing. Well, you got both contacts in your hand? Well, no, we haven't completed the circuit. There's a positive and a negative to it. So the other thing that you run into is when you when you actually have that dog out in the field or you're training and you had good control, let's say, in your yard training with the dog, the dog's acknowledging the training collar, and now once you get him out in the field and he's ignoring it. And what do you think that, that reason is he's ignoring it when you get him out in the field, Marty? Ah, hey, I, you know, well, he's, he evidently didn't, he, he didn't feel it, or, did, or at least he didn't acknowledge that he felt it. So, like you say, maybe he's maybe not getting constant. But here's know. the main thing is now you've got distractions involved. You know, I always tell people it's like trying to get your kid to take the garbage out when the TV's on. Kid ignores you. You've asked him ten times. Now walk over and turn the TV off, and then, he, then you've got his attention. You take a dog out in the field, he's on on a bird. And let's say you had him at level 30 or 40, a nice working level in the yard, a nice under control really was doing well for in yard training with no distractions. Now we take that same dog, Marty, we put him out on a hot bird uh, out in the field. He's running a hot track. Well, he might run right through that same level and never even acknowledge that the training collar's on him. And then I'll tell people, you know, there is that reason that we have that little dial up on the top, Marty, to increase and decrease. And I'm increasing and decreasing that stimulation level all the while I'm working a dog. And I had an old counter by the name of Chad James, that guy I hope Chad's listening today. And he taught me more about training callers and, and how they work than any man around. And he was a electrical engineer for, uh, for one of our competitors for a lot of years. He ran the doctor company for years. And he, this man knows more about the inner workings of a remote training caller than anybody ever met. And one of the things he always said to me was, we never know how the dog's going to respond every time we push that button. 
They're an animal. We don't know. It's not like pushing a button on a machine. Well, hell, sometimes we push a button on a machine or start a car and it doesn't work. But you're li- dealing with a living, breathing animal, and we don't know how that dog's going to react all the time to the training collar because of the environment that dog's in. And part of that environment is distractions. And so dog chases hot and chases up a deer and takes off on it. Heck, Marty, you may have to turn that unit all the way open, wide open, the highest level in order to get his attention to, to break that that focus and prey drive on that deer. Uh, whereas in the yard, we may have had that dog at a low level. So that's one of the most common questions I get when I'm trying to decipher if a unit's working properly for a for a, an individual that calls in. And, and yeah, there's sometimes the unit may be broken or may not be working, but uh, they may not be making good contact. They haven't put it on nice and tight on the dog, but invariably they have not figured out that distractions mean that the dog's going to need an increased amount of stimulation. Well, I have, I have, you know, and I, I can totally concur with, with what you're saying there because I've, I've seen some dogs. And you, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have one that's got a lot of horsepower, you know, some, sometimes it, it, it takes a little bit more to, um, to get his attention. So, uh, because he's, he's pretty headstrong and, and wide open. Now, you know, to, uh, you know, to, talking about all of that, you know, we've been talking all sorts of stuff, you know, different things, upland, retrieving, you know, all of that. Let's talk a little bit about Dog Trip, the company, and some of the products that they've got out there. Pete, we've got we've got five or six minutes to go here in the show. Let's, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about some of the different models that the that that most of the most hunters would like to have. Well, uh, you know, we've got our most our most popular unit. You mentioned it earlier, Marty, is our nineteen hundred S unit, and that is uh, a great all around training collar for a. Uh, uh, let's call a medium to large breed uh, dog. And then we do make some units that have a smaller receiver box on it. And, and people might say, well, why do you make those? And, and one of the things that you run into is like in the pet training world, you get some small breeds. You get some mm-hmm. small breeds, Marty, in the, in the field breeds. You know, you get some small uh, Britneys and Springer Spaniels. And then uh, we want to have a smaller receiver box that goes on that dog. Otherwise, it's like a damn boat anchor, you know, if it's too big. And mm-hmm. so we, we kind of have a smaller, con- more contoured receiver box. Those units have a little bit less power output also. And, and people will say, well, why, why did that happen? Well, when you, when you start reducing the size of the product, that means we've got a smaller battery, smaller electronics in it, and it, it can't put out the same amount of stimulation. And what I always tell people is, is if your dog's big enough to handle a receiver box, you know, a, a good-sized unit like the 1900S, you always go with a high-output unit. If he's a smaller dog, you got a smaller dog, then we go with a medium output unit because the dog can only uh, carry so much of the weight and the feel of the, of the receiver box. I always tell people if the dog's big enough, uh, go with a high output unit. So we got a little extra stimulation uh, in those critical training situations. A lot of times people say to me, well, wait a minute, Pete, I don't think my dog needs a high level of stimulation. I said, well, you've got a car or a truck that's got an eight-cylinder in it, but it's also got a gas pedal. You're the one that decides how fast it goes. On the training collar, that dial up on top, you decide how far that stimulation goes. Now, if you get a high-drive dog like we mentioned earlier, we may need a high-output unit. So, uh, but, but when we're dealing with the smaller pet dogs also, Marty, most, uh-huh. many of those are the smaller breeds, and we've got to go to a smaller receiver box. 
Well, I <clears throat> I met with a gentleman yesterday, believe it or not, you know, and, and I was uh, actually looking at putting in a little private sporting clays thing for them. And uh, it just so happens it's at a game preserve. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the young man who's, who's a, uh, uh, the chief guide there and handles the dogs, uh, he says, I've, I've just got a new English cocker. And I think I'm going to have to get me, you know, we use dog tra collars anyway, and I think I'm going to have to get one of those those smaller size dog tra collars for this English cocker. And, you know, those things are like a Tasmanian devil, man. You turn them loose, and I mean, <laughs> those those oh. things are, are just wide open most of the time. But, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's the size that uh, that they would need. Yeah, we make a couple of units money, like our 200C and our 280C have a reduced size receiver box. Very small. I mean, they'll fit dogs down in that 15-pound range, and they still got plenty of stimulation. They're still all waterproof. That's the other thing. Even the even the transmitters, all the receivers are waterproof uh, in our line, but even the transmitters on those smaller units. So if you do take the dog out in the field and you're on a rainy day, you know, it's not going to be a big deal if, you're, if the transmitter gets wet. So mm-hmm. we make we make we try and cover all our bases, so to speak. I tell people when they call up and they talk to me about units, I said, you know, it's kind of like going into the Chevy or the Ford dealership, you know, guy. At first, it's overwhelming, but eventually, when you tell me what dog, what breed you have, and what you're going to do with it, I've narrowed it down to a couple choices for you. And I say, this is the unit you probably want. Just like going in and buying a vehicle, uh, you know, you, you know, you, you're up in the Midwest, you're probably buying a pickup truck or a four wheel drive. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we try and make a unit that covers, you know, the the everything in the market, so to speak. But it is a little complicated, but. Well, and and again, you know, you've got to have those different ones. I mean, we talked about the uh, the, the T and Bs a little while ago, and you know, you've got the one dog one, and then you know, a lot of guys are hunting with two dogs, so you've got, you know, you've got one uh, one transmitter that uh, that controls two collars and controls two dogs, and that's a that's exactly. a great product to yeah. have because um, you know, especially down here where I live, you know, all of the quail hunters. I mean, you don't hunt with one dog; you hunt with two, and one of them one of them's pointing and one of them's honoring. And, uh, you know, but you've got to have control of both of those animals. What's neat about that new unit that's called a T&B Dual, it has the beeper locator on it, but also has the remote training collar functions. And it's basically, Marty, if you looked at it, it's got two stimulation dials up on the top of it on one transmitter. So if I've got a dog that has a real robust uh, uh, personality that I've got to give a high level of stimulation, and I might have an easy dog out with them uh, that takes a more mild uh, uh, stimulation level, I basically, I can set that transmitter so the one's on a low level and one's on a high, and if I need be, and, and the buttons are correlated, are coordinated orange and, and black for that. And what happens with a lot of the other two-dog systems that are on the market, when you toggle to the other dog from one to the other, wherever you left your dial on stimulation, if you don't adjust it, the other dog's getting that level. Whereas yeah, this new that's... T&B Dual or a 3500X has two, it's basically two transmitters in one, which really gives you a lot of flexibility and, and no more inadvertent stimulation, too much stimulation to one dog because you forgot to turn it down. That's really a well, feature on some of them. That, that, listen, that that is that's taking care of business right there because I, you know, I've been I've been there. You know, I've seen that yep. what exactly what you're talking about, where you know they they didn't have that adjustable feature. And you know you you correct the dog, and all of a sudden you've got a problem. But hey, Pete, we're we're at less we're at less than a minute, buddy. I can't believe time flies like it does. But oh, hey, how do how do people? If you want people to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Or do you just say go to dogtra.com? Uh, dogtra.com, the website, which is www.dogtra.com. We also have a pretty active Facebook page, and we're on Instagram. 
Uh, if people want to look for me, they can look for Pete Fisher. Our names are spelled the same, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. You're going to find a and dog I, in my And I did that, and I found you on everything. Hey, I found you on everything. Buddy, thank you. We are smooth out of time, <laughs> folks. Dogtra.com. Go there. And Pete, thank you so much for being on the show, buddy. Great, great, great information. Folks, we'll see you next week on Wing and Clay Nation Radio. Have fun, be safe, and by all means, take a kid hunting or shooting. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. Please join Marty again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week's show, think safety first and good shooting. We'll be right back.